This episode is sponsored by Charlotte's Web. Go to charlottesweb.com and use the code FRUGALPODCAST at checkout to save 15% on your order. This code works on all CBD products except bundles and starter sizes. Literally, I could not afford to file for bankruptcy. This is Frugal Living. It's unusual to meet someone who can describe their life as a perfect story arc. So this week's interview is a rare treat. It's the story of someone's journey from near financial ruin to financial expertise, including the most important steps along the way. My guest this week is the founder of Frugal Rules, an online resource center for frugal-minded people. He's incredibly knowledgeable about this kind of stuff, and that wasn't always the case. My name is John Schmall. I am the founder uh, of FrugalRules.com. And Frugal Rules is just kind of a huge resource for people with exactly this interest (laughs) of the people who listen to this podcast. Like We talk about ways to save money, ways to invest, the smart ways we can save money, and where it makes sense to splurge so we can save more in the long run. But specifically, what I wanted to talk to you about was saving strategies. We've talked to a few different people in the past couple seasons now about early retirement, about how to consider budgeting in their lives. But it seems like you have a pretty unique set of knowledge here. And I'd just love to hear tips you've got first on on ways to save. Sure, uh, of course. So for those that don't know uh, my story or about the site, uh, I grew up not being taught about money and got to college. I went to school at Kansas State University and uh, go Wildcats. And my first week there, I discovered credit cards. It was still at the time where credit card companies could be on campus and they'd hand out, you know, free Frisbees, water bottles, what have you. And I knew nothing about credit cards. Uh, at all whatsoever. And I ended up with two in my first week and I thought they were free money. And, you know, I'm a college student. I worked the front desk uh, in my res hall. So I wasn't making really any money, was making enough to go out and have fun on the weekends. Those two quickly turned into four credit cards uh, within my, by the end of my first semester. And I was using those to finance the kind of life I wanted, but I couldn't afford. And so I, I transferred in end of my sophomore year. So I had two and a half years left at K-State. And over those two and a half years, I racked up uh, nearly 25 grand in credit card debt. And at the same time, I was also utilizing student loan money to do that. So I graduated college with 50 grand in debt. And um, within the first year of my graduating, I was at a place where I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to turn. I was getting hounded by creditors, uh, turned over to collections, and I was at the brink of bankruptcy. And literally, I could not afford to file for bankruptcy. And I can't remember the exact amount. It was several hundred dollars, I believe, at the time to file. And I went to a roommate and asked him if he would loan me the money to file for bankruptcy. And thankfully, he showed me some tough love. And he said, basically, you're in this situation 
because because of your own doing. And um, I didn't like hearing it, but that's really was that one seed that really started my growth. And uh, he connected me with a uh, it was consumer credit counseling was an agency I worked with, and they got me on a plan, um, consolidated my credit cards, uh, lowered my rates from it was like low to mid 20s. to I think the highest one out of the four was four or five percent. And the first thing the lady that I worked with did was got me on a budget. And I had heard my parents talk about budgeting when I was a kid. And my parents would always, my experience with it was my parents would joke if they had $50 left over at the end of the month, they wondered who they didn't pay. So my, my parents spent and budgeting was a foreign concept to me. And that was when I was introduced to giving every dollar a purpose. She sat me down and went over how much I made, where I was spending, and ways to cut back. And in that situation, most people in that situation, they really have to take a fire hydrant approach and rein everything in. I had no other choice, and it was difficult to do. But one thing that she really nailed down for me was, or drilled down for me, was the need to start looking at expenses individually and not, okay, well, you have to cut your spending by half. Because so often, and I see this with readers all the time, they say, well, I, I know I need to start saving, but I can't cut back in 10 areas all at once. It's too overwhelming. And I take it as the, the saying is, eat an elephant one bite at a time. And so what I encourage readers to do and what I found over time in, in my own journey was identify one thing for that month or two weeks or whatever time period you want to set and see how I can cut back on that. And I like the month mentality. And if it's something that I can live without or it's something that I can rein in and I'm okay with that, then that's savings that I've netted. And I can continue living that lifestyle, that one thing, and then move on to something else while still keeping that savings from the first thing. And over time, you're going to do it, taking that approach, you're going to build momentum and confidence that, you know what, maybe I don't need a $250 a month cable plan. I can live with a streaming service that's a fifth of that, and it's not so overwhelming, and, and I can do it. And so it so much I find saving comes down to confidence and believing that that even that that small savings of say $20 a month, that that will do something for you. Um, it's not just that $20. It's that culmination of, of all these different things that you're netting yourself several hundred dollars a month in savings, which really that can be life saving, life changing money if you, if you manage it correctly and wisely. And it sounds like you have, I mean, that's a pretty big turnaround. I know many of us graduate with student loans, but to have $25,000 of essentially toxic debt on top of that is staggering. That's a huge blow to, to step out into the working world, knowing that you're hindered in these two different ways. I worked in mortgages for a little while, and when we were evaluating people's credit reports to see if they'd qualify for a mortgage, a student loan or a mortgage 
we'd consider these good debt. It's good to have a student loan. I mean, it's not ideal, but of the type of debt that you have, it says you use this money to go to college to further your education, and you've probably set aside 20 years to pay this back. Credit card debt's the opposite of that, where it fluctuates, and more importantly, it's going to go up. If you make the minimum payment, it's just going to get worse. When you talk about cutting down spending, saving $20 here, $20 there, it seems like the biggest impact that would make in a credit card debt situation would be on paying down those debts first. Yeah, that that's exactly what I did was um, anything, any savings, any extra money that I could come into went towards that debt. And, and even though, like I said, the highest interest rate was at like 5%, that was knocking it down. So I was paying more towards the principal and, and saving on interest. And I, yeah, I, I hopped my high school class rank and my TV. And uh, it was just anything that I could get to knock that down and get rid of it because it literally was like a piano on the chest. It's almost like dealing with insurance. Half the battle is having to make that call and talk to someone about something where you have no no power or control. You mentioned, and I remember this, it was the same at my college, I went to Michigan State. And when I was there, free Frisbee if you sign up for a credit card. I turned it down at the time, and I'm happy I did, but I also remember when I graduated, I had no credit at all. There was no no credit history. I asked for a loan to buy a car, and they said, no, but you can have a credit card. And I remember thinking, this is insane. How how bizarre of a world is it that you're willing to give me a credit card, but not a loan for a car to get to a job? But to get back to this, th- this isn't something we talk about a lot on on the podcast, but it is a really helpful tool to have available credit counseling. I don't know if everyone realizes this is available when you're in that situation. As far as I understand, and you you know more about this than I do, they will call your creditors and they'll negotiate rates. And those are two things that you can do yourself. But if you don't know how to do this, let them do it. If they can negotiate your rate down from 18 or 24% down to 5%, $10 a month is nothing. The amount of money they just saved you with that one call is huge. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there, there are some scammy companies out there and uh, for sure. And they'll make wild, crazy promises. Those are the ones that you want to run from. You want to go to the one that I worked with was a nonprofit agency and was recommended to me, was recommended to me. And, uh, so if, you know, if you're ever in a situation like this, do your due diligence and don't fall for the promises because at the end of the day, if you manage your money wisely, your credit score will return. And ultimately in that situation, your credit score isn't the issue. Your issue is killing the debt and then moving on to living a, a financially wise life. And I know state and county websites often have lists of resources like this available. But to transition this into kind of the next phase, both of your life and of the savings journey, once you pay off $25,000 in credit card debt, how do you transition into saving, into creating your own wealth? Um, it's not easy. And uh, that's, that's a great question. And it's, it's, so it took me five, just over five years to kill my debt. And uh, the last year or so was with my wife, uh, who I met after college. And so that helped kill off because I went after my credit cards first and then my student loans. So uh, making that transition is another one like is just taking it one step at a time. And when I was working with the counselor, 
two of the things that she implemented with me was you need to save something every month. And she said, I don't care if it's five or $10. She said in the beginning, it doesn't matter. It's the, it's the philosophy. It's that mindset that you're, that you're creating changing from a spender to a saver. And so she had me do that. And then the other thing she had me do was I want you to, I want you to set aside money each month to spend on you. What it doesn't matter what it is, something that you can do to escape, I guess, for lack of better terms, that burden that you're dealing with and just enjoy life. And so that was something that I started um, both. It was $10 a month um, in, in the beginning. And again, it's that seeing that even just that tiny little amount, that's where you need to start. And so often I hear from readers, well, you know, $20 a month isn't going to do anything. They're missing the point. It's that mindset, that that lifestyle of I don't want to be beholden to someone else and I want to start creating my wealth. It's taking that one step in front of another and just doing that because over time, and I see it a lot with readers in creating their emergency funds, they hear, well, I need three to six months. There's no way on earth that I'm going to be able to do that. So I tell them, okay, set a goal of $250, then hit that, then go to 500 then go to 1000 because hitting each one of those is, again, going to create that momentum and that confidence that you can do more and look for other ways so that making that transition is just really committing to it and taking it one day at a time and realizing that, okay, right now it's only going to mean five or $10 a month, but who knows where you're going to be three months from now, six months from now at the end of the year. I've heard this described as paying yourself first. And I like that. I like that because it's, it's easier sometimes to remember that our finances are essentially a business of one, or if you're in a couple, a business of two. And remembering, like you said, to put money aside for yourself to enjoy, that that's a line item. You didn't stop there. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you turned your life around in a pretty, pretty big way. And once you started saving, what was your next step? Uh, my next step was reining in my spending and and looking for more opportunities to save um, because it's my back. My background was, you know, for so many years I had lived this way and making that switch of stopping spending just on frivolous junk doesn't happen overnight. And so what it came down to that for me, the next shift was identifying every area of my life where I can cut back and use that for other needs. You know, we have three kids. And so that's an easy built in way to do that because they have demands, they need to be fed and you need to be able to provide for them. And even beyond all of that, it becomes at least became my desire to break that cycle for them as they see us, my wife and I manage our money, living that out in front of them and explaining, you know, at their, you know, obviously at their levels that they're able to understand, communicate to them why we're doing this and why we're not choosing to go out to eat on a Friday night. Going out to eat with five, even if you don't go out for a three course meal, it's still easily $75. If it's a sit down restaurant, we're doing that because we want to spend that $75 on going on a family vacation or 
being able to do something else as a family. So how do you start that conversation with your kids? Is this a conversation where when they're young enough, you have this conversation about allowances or about saving to, to buy that special thing? Or are they really involved with you know the financial planning of your household? Uh, that's a great question. And it really, I think, comes down to the age and the preparedness of your child. For us, what we started was just discussing things uh, with our, our daughter. She'll be 14 in September. So she's our oldest. Just discussing things with her when she was two and three and, you know, very remedially, very basic, explaining, you know, we're not spending this so we can spend it on this. And uh, we found that that to be helpful and we pay our children allowances, but we do it a little differently. They each have chores to do around the house. Some are just expected to be a productive member of, of the house and others are, we pay them to do. But where we make it a little different is, is that if you don't do the dishes tonight, you're getting docked that money from your allowance. And so uh, we pay them $5 a week and different times we'll give them opportunities to earn more money, but they can earn that $5 a week, but there'll be weeks where they'll make less and how we have them handle their money that they get is we have them split it up in three different categories and 50% of their money has to go to savings and 25% they have to give to our church or homeless shelters, some, something like that. And then the other 25% they can use to spend on something that they want. So our two boys there, we've got Legos all over the place. So they're they're, that's what they value spending their money on. And our daughter, we've learned that she likes hoarding the money and then finding something that she likes and spending it on that. And we have piggy banks at our section that way. So we put that in weekly. And so we're doing that to help them see the importance of, of paying themselves first, like you said, and putting that money aside and then giving and then being able to spend on, on what they want. And then another thing that we've just started this last year is my wife and I run our own business and we can pay our children income. And so um, our youngest son, he's nine this year and we're not paying him because down the bunny trail, our CPA says really needs to be 10 to start. So anyway, our two oldest, we pay them and uh, we've been able to put uh, set aside a couple thousand dollars for them in a Roth IRA. And um, they love Disney, so it's in Disney stock and helping teach them about just very basics about investing. That's wonderful. And it transitions very nicely into something, again, I have much less experience in. Running a business has a lot of unique challenges, for sure. You know, you're going to have a lot of unique expenses that you wouldn't have otherwise. But there's a lot of opportunities. Understanding how to best position yourself as a business owner to pay as little in taxes as you can, and, and more importantly, what opportunities exist as a business owner to put your children in a better situation for their own retirement 50 years down the line, where you're starting a Roth IRA before they're out of high school. That's very unique, and it's a wonderful idea. Can you tell me more about that and tell me other ways that you're using your business to help you set your family up for success? For sure. Um, yeah, the, the Roth IRA component uh, was huge for us. I mean, 
And it's, you know, not really the amount of money that we're doing to save ourselves. It's we really view it more so as helping just put some seeds there to help our children so they can learn and have that 50 plus years for that money to grow. Some other things you can do is a solo 401k. Since we don't have employers, we don't have the benefit of, you know, getting a 401k or a 401k match. Uh, so we, that's something that we've done. See, we've run our own business for just over 10 years now. And we started, first started with a SEP IRA and then learned uh, through our CPA that we could save significantly more through a solo 401k. So we started that six or seven years ago, I want to say. And with that, you can put aside, I believe this year, the employee can set aside $19,000, give or take $500. And then as the employer, you can put aside 25% of the employee's income. And so that's massive if you're doing that for, for two people. So we're doing that. We also do um, an HSA uh, account for our uh, health insurance because health insurance is a boondoggle um, when you have to buy it on your own. Uh, it's nearly the cost of our mortgage. So we uh, this year, I want to say it's like 7000 give or take 500 or 1000 that you can put away in an HSA account. HSAs are something I feel are completely underutilized. Can you walk me through what an HSA is and why you're using it? Sure. So it's a HSA is a health savings account. And what it is, it's specifically for people that are in high deductible healthcare plans. Our health insurance coverage is basically fire insurance. If my wife or I or one of our kids gets some obscure cancer, it's there for us. Other than that, everything is out of pocket. And uh, so the HSA account is there to help supplement. So if I go to the store and I need to buy Advil, I can use that money. So it's it's pre-tax money. And you when you with, use it for qualified expenses, it's tax-free. The one thing that I adore about an HSA, aside from it being, you know, not taxed when you deposit it, you can invest it and... You're not taxed on the growth when you take it out as long as it's qualifying expenses. And the one thing we all share when we get older is medical bills. You know, when you have to pay for, you know, medical bills in retirement, you could take that out of your 401k or your IRA. Or if you've been using an HSA through, you know, decades of your life, you can pull it out of there, just avoid the tax on it entirely. And I think that's just an incredible thing that I don't think enough people realize is an option. Frugal Living is brought to you by Brad's Deals. That's B-R-A-D-S-D-E-A-L-S dot com. Special thanks to John Schmall, Sidney Smith, and H. Borkowski. I'm Jim Marcus. Thanks for listening.